0: Telling me about this I'll tell you about about that Stop talking shit You'll walk into another trap Oh, When all the time you know You know my name You know my name You know my name Just settle down You're losing the plot. It took you a lifetime to get ready Welcome to episode 50 of the Prestige Performance Podcast. This morning, I'm absolutely privileged to be joined by the Rio 2016 Paralympic Champion. This lady is a world champion. This lady is a Commonwealth Games champion and has become one of the world's best tandem pilots. It is Helen Scott. Helen, thanks for taking the time. Welcome to my podcast.
1: Well, Thanks so much, Jimmy. Thanks for that fabulous introduction as
0: well. Well, the records speak for themselves. That must be some buzz when people describe you as world champion
1: yeah, definitely. I think, you know, when you're sort of involved in sport day to day and you're around like, you know, people who have, you know, are the greatest Olympians of all time, greatest Paralympians of all time, I think you sort of, you become quite, um, not numb to it, but I guess you forget sort of how amazing these achievements are. And recently I was, I was doing a talk at an old um, PE teacher's new school. His the, um, deputy head now and he gave me a similar introduction to you did and it sort of reminded me like oh wow like over all these years like I guess I've done some pretty cool stuff kind of thing and as I say it's not something that we discuss day to day we just sort of crack on with training and and racing and get on with it um, and have a great time but we don't actually often get chance to reflect on yeah what we've done and what we've achieved.
0: I'm curious to ask I've been really fortunate to speak to a number of athletes and some of them have said to me that they often Forget to enjoy the process because they're so, you know, they're so stuck into training. They're so, I suppose, it's all about the outcome. They're they're looking for the win. I'm wondering, is that something you can relate to? Do you forget to enjoy the process sometimes?
1: I think I think it's um I think it's something that happened at the beginning of my career for sure because you join the Great Britain cycling team and um you know the history of the team and the success that they've had and and you immediately you know want expect and feel like you have to to live up to those um those expectations straight away so you do forget a little bit at the beginning but i feel very fortunate you know to have had a long career and, and now 100 percent for me is about enjoying that process that's the only reason I'm, I'm sat here in front of you now jimmy to be honest because um that's what it's all about for me and has always been about for me you know i am somebody who loves training and loves being in the gym being on the track with my teammates and you know I wake up on a Monday morning and I get to go to the gym with all my mates you know like you have I don't know how you cannot enjoy the process but I've got teammates who hate training love racing you know and just want to be on that start line all the time with that pressure and and obviously that's what we're here to do but um I think the process is something that does create the longevity of of a career and um, potentially the success but certainly you know um the way you look back on your career when you finished it as well you know i don't want to look back and think i didn't enjoy that journey because i was so focused and on you know winning races and medals and records um but yeah i've definitely been there for sure but um i guess The older you get, the wiser you get. So um, I'm looking now to sort of yet be in a position where I'm enjoying every single moment because I know it's not going to last forever. And, you know, I've had more years, but there are more years behind me than there are ahead in terms of my sporting career. And I need to appreciate that.
0: I want to ask you about growing up in Birmingham. What kind of young person were you?
1: I mean I I got into sport very quickly so I guess that sort of developed my sort of um, confidence fairly quickly I wouldn't say I was um, you know the most the loudest um, you know most confident of young people Um, but certainly being part of sport and joining sport and I'm one of five I'm the eldest of five kids um, so you know I've got three brothers and and a, a little sister and you know I guess having those as well helped me to develop my social skills and and competitive edge as well trying to sort of beat the boys at everything that we did um but I think being involved in sport has, has made me grow my confidence you know I was very conscientious at, at, at school I always wanted to do well and I remember i forgot my homework one day that sort of old excuse and I genuinely forgot it and you know I felt sick with you know worry about telling the teacher I'd forgotten it kind of thing so I know that you know I uh, yeah I was very conscientious and I didn't want to sort of let anybody down Um, and then as I say you know sport sort of helped me grow as a person and develop the skills to sort of work with people and yeah be more confident in who I am
0: how did you get involved in cycling? What age did you join your cycling club?
1: I was about 10 or 11, I think. Um, very lucky to sort of have moved to an area where there was a local athletics and cycling club, Hales over in, um just south of Birmingham. And, um, and I think, you know, it was as simple as, I mean, I've got so many teammates with like amazing stories about how they got into sports. And when I tell my story, you know, it's pretty standard in terms of, I like riding my bike, my parents took me down to the local club and sort of the rest is history, really. Um, You know, it is quite a niche sport, I guess, you know, if you're not close to an outdoor or indoor velodrome, it's harder to get involved into it. But as I say, my parents still live, you know, two minutes down the road from, in cycling club and um, yeah I've been a member you know since I was 10 or 11 years old and at the time and and still now it's you know it's a it's a great cycling club for, for young riders um, and when I joined you know um, there was I felt like there were hundreds of us you know and we'd go in convoy around the country racing at different tracks um so yeah nothing spectacular really I guess just as um, you know as easy as it was for my brothers to get into football clubs you um, And, yeah, I just, as I say, just loved riding my bike. My mum and dad wanted somewhere safe for me to be able to do that rather than on the roads around our house. Um, And, yeah, just went down there.
0: For our listeners who are unsure what exactly piloting a tandem involves, could you explain your role to them?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So being a pilot on the tandem, I'm the um, able-bodied sighted rider on the front of the bike. Um, So I am obviously responsible for manoeuvring the bike around the track um as safely as possible um yeah for steering and yeah i'm you know essentially the eyes of the bike and uh, you know people ask me you know do you have to pedal what you know rock role do you play in that sense and i explain that you know the, the best athletes we both can be the faster that bike goes so ultimately you know Having ridden a solo bike for so long before I joined the tandem, it gave me quite a lot of great bike handling skills. So I, I do generally ride the tandem as if it's my solo bike, you know. And I say as fast as we can both be, that bike will go as fast as um, as fast as we can we can take it. So um, yeah, a lot of synchronicity involved um, in terms of getting off the line together as a pair. Obviously there's, there's four legs to, to, to work with rather than just the two uh, and two people. So um, yeah, but it's my job to yeah, steer, to guide, to get the bike out of the gate in a straight line. Um, uh, but the rest is sort of, you know, a 50-50 effort really, you know, in terms of um, riding the bike, there's no difference to riding the solo as the tandem. We both aim to, to pedal as fast as we can.
0: You mentioned riding a solo there. So you started university in 2008. You were then offered a place with the British Cycling Sprint Academy. How long did you stay in university for?
1: I um, I stayed for just a couple of weeks. I think I managed to do Freshers' Week. And then I got this offer of uh, joining the programme. Um, so, yeah, I guess I enjoyed the best part of university life at that point. Um, But at that time, it wasn't feasible for me to be able to do both. And, you know, I've been working uh, for my whole sort of, uh, you know, ever since I joined and I guess, to get onto that squad. So um, it was sort of a no-brainer decision for me, really, um, to move up to Manchester shortly after.
0: One of my biggest gripes in life is that I'm getting that little bit older now. It's probably no longer acceptable for me to attend Freshers' Week.
1: (laughs) (laughs) As as athletes, we tend to sort of make up our own. To be honest, so it doesn't really matter how old we are if we've got a couple of weeks off training. We um we know where to where the best spots are now.
0: Had you done a few trials before this with the academy?
1: A little bit, yes. Um, I was always sort of like a guest rider, so to speak. Um, there was sort of the Olympic Development Program, which is now named, um, I believe, the Junior Academy. Um. So I'd never sort of managed to get myself sort of a, an official place on the squad. But um, the coaches would see me race um, in local, well, not local, national omniums um, and, and races like that. And, you know, they would want to give me the opportunity to sort of try and come on camps with the, with the squad. Um, so I, I was sort of guesting. Um, and really, it was the national championships just before I, I got the offer to join the programme that I think they saw something in me um, in terms of one of my races. And, and I think that sort of sealed the deal. I didn't know it at the time, you know, I just did the best I could on the day. And I'd already put in an application to join the, the Sprint Academy. And um, yeah, I think that performance on that day, you know, sealed the deal really. And they obviously saw something that they liked and they wanted to work with, which, you know, was amazing.
0: Can you give us an idea of the kinds of people you were training with at that time?
1: Well, I mean, it was just amazing, to be honest, Jimmy. I joined the academy and, you know, the Monday, the following Monday, I moved to Manchester on maybe the Saturday. Monday I was training with Sir Chris Hoy, Victoria Pendleton, um, and the rest of that, you know, uh, dream team of of British cycling, Jason Kenny. So they suddenly went from you know my sort of heroes and idols and, and turned into my teammates. Um, and it was a very small like it was a pretty small squad at the time. you know we had like the greats of cycling, you know there Sir Bradley Wiggins, um, obviously on the endurance side, but um, it was fairly small, so it was quite um, like an intimate group of, of, of people training together and me being sort of the newbie as well, you know. Um, it was quite overwhelming but they made me feel so welcome Um, and it was just amazing to train to train with them and to see what they did day in day out and to watch them train and how hard they worked and you know we would train on the track four days a week together and You know, I'll never forget doing this one session at the end of the week on a Friday afternoon, um, you know, absolutely wrecked from training all week, harder than I've ever done before, having moved up to Manchester and become full time. And, you know, I'm I'm sort of feeling like I'm crawling around the velodrome and I'm hearing Sir Chris Foy cheering me on. You know, there's there's simply nothing better than that as a young person, you know, um, living their dream, I guess.
0: Mm. Was it daunting a little bit?
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, and 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 don't forget, it was um, end of 2008, beginning of 2009 when I joined. So they'd all just come back from Beijing Olympics with, you know, all of these gold medals. And it was daunting because, you know, Vicky Pendleton was the one and only sprinter. She was Olympic champion. And then there were a, a few of us below. And, of course, the expectation was that we would then step up to sort of her level, which, you know, at the time... And still it has been impossible for anybody to get to. Um, so it was daunting, but to be honest to me, I wasn't really thinking about that. I was thinking about like how amazing this was, you know, that I was wearing the same kit as these as these athletes that I'd watched on the TV for years and Um, you know I guess my main concerns were what am I gonna how am I gonna cook myself dinner tonight and I was also learning how to drive at the same time so there was a lot of things going on in, in my head at that time really but the main thing was just so much excitement to be there you know to be at the home of British Cycling and to call that my my job you know.
0: I'm wondering at that time as a young person did you have to be more disciplined than say other young people in terms of going out, you know, going drinking, making sacrifices. Was that tough for you?
1: I think you're right. Um, Again, I think because I guess it depends what you expect, you know, when you join the programme. Um, we are guided very well by the support team there. But of course, you know, we initially were put into flats in a student area in Manchester. So you have, I don't know, 10, 12, 18 year old, you know, new new cyclists on the Great Britain cycling team put into a university sort of environment, but not being able to join in, like you say, because we have to get up and perform at our best the next day and the next day and the next day. Um, And I don't know whether I was lucky um, or whether we were all just, just had the same sort of mindset, but we were pretty good, you know, and I think we got the balance quite well, you know, I think um, there were sacrifices to be made you know when we were seeing students going out all week you know and we couldn't um, but we made our own fun you know we were uh, like a little squad ourselves and we would do our own things and we would you know have uh, box set nights and cooking nights together and cinema and as much as it wasn't going out every night um we understood that you know this was the life we'd chosen kind of thing and I think when it's your choice it's not a sacrifice and i don't really like that word because you know i look back on my career and i don't think i you know yes there has been i guess some sacrifice in terms of you know missing important events at times with family and friends but um as i say we did get a good balance you know we were 18 19 year old kids really and we we still went out but it was just the right when with the right time you know when we weren't racing when we'd maybe finished a, a race or you know we had a break so yeah I guess um it was we were aware of it because we were surrounded by it but you know as I say we'd all been sort of dreaming of having this opportunity since we were young so I think we were none of us were sort of willing to sort of um you know ruin it by you know following what everybody else around us was doing.
0: Jumping to now uh you're studying in Manchester exercise and sports science do you enjoy it?
1: I love it. It's, it's extremely challenging, I must say, um, but I, absolutely, I do absolutely love it. it it's taken me a, a good few years um, and I'm nearly at the point of completion, but I wouldn't change it for the world. Um, I'm not a natural scientist, although I am very curious, having obviously been working with experts in this field for many years, um, which is part of the reason why I wanted to, to do the course, is to learn more um, you know, I do coach privately as well, so I wanted to be able to give a better service to my athletes too. Um, but yeah, I'm not a natural scientist, so it, it's definitely difficult for me. You know, if if there was a uh, if there was a degree on the Olympic and Paralympic Games, I'd I'd, uh, I'd switch over in a heartbeat. But unfortunately, this is as close as I can get for now.
0: I'm wondering how, if at all, you applied it into your own training.
1: Yeah, I, I do for sure. You know, as I say, it's taught me a lot about. Program planning, you know, uh, adaptation to training and things like that, and it's just given me sort of the knowledge to ask um, good questions of, you know, my coaches, my physiologists, my psychologist, my strength and conditioning coach. Um, so it's certainly, yeah, I think it's important that we share knowledge and collaborate. And I think having gained knowledge over the past well, nearly seven years. Um, I am able to, you know, ask those questions and we get better answers and I get better training and I understand it. You know, I think the key is like understanding why you're doing what you're doing. And that's what I like to instill into my riders as well. You know, when I set them training, I make them aware of why I'm setting them this training session so that they know the importance of it. They know why they're doing it instead of just blindly following me. I don't want riders who are so dependent on me um, that they will just follow me blindly I want them to understand so that I'm teaching them something as well and they can make informed decisions and you know one day if I'm not coaching them they will have some kind of knowledge to be able to you know um take forwards with them and and talk to other people about so um yeah I, I, I it's 100% um given me a deeper understanding of my own training and and also I think it's helped me to progress too because as I say I do ask questions and you know I want to make sure it's um it's it's correct and I was just thinking about a project I did a couple of years ago and I had to do a project on a completely different sport and which was amazing I chose swimming and you know I was hypothetically sort of setting a program for Adam Peaty and you know, I I learned, I read up all about the stroke of breaststroke and actually I learned loads about, you know, how he might, might train and how, you know, the biomechanics of a stroke and it's something that I would never have known or that, you know, had I not joined this course.
0: You mentioned the idea of collaboration and asking the right questions to your coaches. Mm -hmm. I suppose a lot of, a lot of young people listen to this podcast. So for those individuals who are maybe chasing high performance, could you give us an example of the types of questions you might ask your coach to ensure that you're improving or learning or.
1: Absolutely. And I think it's, it's amazing. Like you say that young people are listening. And I think as, uh, when you're younger as well, you're a little bit more hesitant to ask those, these important questions. You know, you are more um, susceptible to just following training and just accepting it. So I think things like, you know, okay, coach, um, what is this, what is this block of training? What are we, what's the goal of this block um, of training? What, um, what are we achieving? What, what are my goals? What at the end of this block, what gains will I have made? Um, and then I guess if we want to go deeper into the training session, okay. So what does this session, what is this session working on in, in terms of my performance, is it working on speed? Is it working on strength? Is it working on endurance speed endurance? Um, so those are sort of, I guess the they more uh, they're basic they seem basic but they're important because that ultimately gives you the overall plan and why and then it will be you know well if we work on this block at this point what's the next block that follows on to it you know um, and how does this look in terms of my my goal for this year for the next two years etc so I think it all starts with what does what is this block of training working on and then each individual sh- session okay what are we working on here what are my strengths what are my weaknesses and what's the what's the number one thing we need to work on now and why It's I think there's no I think every coach would loves it when a rider asks them what why are we doing this and what is this working on? Because it challenges them as well and it makes them think too, you know. Some coaches have been doing it for so many years. It's, it's just automatic to them and they're not, yeah, they're not challenged and they don't think about it. But I think, yeah, just asking why and what, I think are the most important questions.
0: I guess asking those questions and having those plans, it makes your training a bit more deliberate, I suppose, intentional those clear goals in your mind i think that's really important
1: absolutely you know and it it's what motivates you to to go to training every day you know knowing that okay this session is solely working on x um and it doesn't matter about for example an example would be if you're working on your pedaling technique let's say Um, So you'll put on a really small gear, sorry, it's very specific to cycling, but you put on a really small gear to work on your pedaling efficiency, coordination. Now, naturally, when you're on a velodrome, you want to look at your times. You want to look at how fast you're going, because ultimately that's the determinant of your performance. But if you know that your session is based on pedaling and it doesn't matter what your times are, it just matters how smooth you're pedaling your bike. Well, that creates a sense of, I guess, in some ways, security in terms of your performance that day um a focus for the session um and 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 you don't get too worked up about the times because sometimes you know it doesn't like times don't matter when you are working on technical things like that and I think it's so important to have those goals for each session so you know and then there'll be other sessions where it'll be like you've got to get from a to b as fast as possible and it's as simple as that um, and, I, and, I, and i think that's great as well i think just having like you say that direction that goal it's motivating as well and it allows you to focus 100 percent on what you're actually meant to be working on rather than worrying about how fast i am today uh, what does my technique look like today um so yeah it's super important um and we get lost in that as well we do get lost in that as we get older and we you know we've done it so often we forget that some sessions are just for certain elements and we just first thing we do when we when we when we stop is looking at the times you know like obsessive and i guess that is part of being an elite athlete we are obsessed with our improvement and progression but sometimes i think it's good to yeah to sit back and say right what is this session all about
0: you mentioned of course that you do private coaching as well To flip it, Helen, for the coaches who listen to our podcast, how do you ensure that the individuals you're working with have learned?
1: Great question. I mean, I ask them questions. I ask my riders questions. So we'll go, you know, I'll set them a program and I'll put, Know at the beginning of a block, you know, these are our goals. And if any new sessions in this block, I will say exactly like this session is for peak power production. All I want you to do is focus on getting the maximum power out. You know, I don't care how you do it, I don't care on what gear you do, but I want you to achieve maximum power. Um, and then if they come to me with a question, you know, I have a lot of questions about. I I do have a rider who was obsessed with power and I get it because again, it's a sport that is focused on power and speed. Um, and he'll say to me, you, uh, he'll say to me, why, uh, why is my power better from this position than this position? And, you know, I'll I'll give a bit of an explanation, but I'll ask them, I'll say, well, what, what, why do you think, you know, why do you think it's like this? And we'll have a discussion about it. And, and that's where the learning comes. It's being asked questions that they might not necessarily know, but to get them thinking about it. And then, and then they really truly understand it because then they've actually come up with the answer from a little bit of prompting from me. And, you know, I'm learning, coaches are always learning too, you know, and when he asks these questions and when I throw them back to him, you know, we are learning together and, you know, I'll get sent videos of technical points, standing starts. And, you know, again, I'll throw it back and I'll say, right, you tell me what I'm seeing here. It's particularly great when they're doing match sprinting and kieran racing, tactical things. You know, I can say, okay, you've sent me this video and I've got some points, but what do you think I'm going to say? You know, and it gets them thinking and learning, um, instead of, Just constantly giving them the answers you know um it's hard to do you know because you want to help them and give them the answers and show them and guide them but i think it's also good that they're learning as well because um that's been very powerful for me as an athlete and i want to pass that on
0: i think that's brilliant the idea of asking questions in between breaks or whatever i think it makes them an active part of their own development rather than passive
1: absolutely oh 100 you know i've got riders who are of all ages you know um and i've got people who come into the sport at at an an older age and you know the learning that happens you know it must be so um like exciting for somebody to come into a sport a little bit later on in their lives and just to be learning these amazing things and like you say to be able to you know to be actively you know um yeah like giving back and you know most of my riders to me are like i'm in finland so they're not even in this country and you know it's just such an interesting um dynamic and relationship to have with people and amazing to see them c- competing and uh, being you know great members and developing the sport in that country as well and and because of the relationship that I've built with them as well.
0: I'm sure you have uh, worked with coaches who have made a really positive impact on you. I'm sure you've tried to probably take certain things they did and put into practice. What do you think are some really effective qualities that a really good coach should have?
1: Uh, I love this question because I've got two people in mind here and they're almost completely different in terms of their backgrounds um, and their I guess expertise in terms of scientific expertise as sport is becoming more scientific now um, but my very first talent team coach um, a man called Tim Buckle um, he was the I guess um, the most passionate and encouraging coach I've ever had. He made every session fun. And I think we forget that even at the elite level, like it still has to be fun. You know, it's it's riding a bike or whatever sport it is, it's running around a track, it's swimming in a pool. And he was so infectious. That's what he was. He was infectious with his passion, his enjoyment, and it and we enjoyed it because of him. And I recently, you know, I was coaching a session with a British cycling apprentice coach and I started to think we've sort of got a similar style here you know this is really interesting and I just said to him I says do you know what I like I feel like me and you like I think in the same here and um and a lot of my motivation for sort of the encouragement I give riders and you know it does depend on the the type of right you know the age and the and this and the and where these riders are in terms of the performance pathway, but it's always it's it's encouragement. It's showing you that showing them that you they believe in you um, and giving them a great time. And I says, you know my you know, a lot of my motivation for how I coach my riders is after from Tim Buckle, and he says, "Oh my God, same here. Tim Buckle like inspired me as well, And I thought, well, this is amazing because he's obviously, you know, um we've soaked up so much of what he did the way he delivers sessions. And then I go back to the, the other coach that I have in mind. Um, is one of my most recent coaches. He's called Medi Cordy and um, he has the, a very scientific background. So his knowledge of sport, I mean, he has a PhD in sprint cycling. Um, so that sort of tells you everything almost you really need to know. But on top of that, he is an intense passion for sport and for the people. Um, and I think, you know, being able to work with people, being um, very aware of, the individual needs Uh, not everybody needs the same thing um but i think it's just if a rider knows that you you as a coach care so much and have invested so much in their performance and them um being satisfied with their performance because as a coach you know i often say to a lot of my riders i it's not that i don't care how successful you are in this race because i do what i care more about is that you are satisfied with your performance whether that be 10th 8th or winning olympic gold if you're happy and you are hitting personal best and you know you've given hundred percent and i've had some part in that and the fact that you enjoy you've enjoyed the experience like that means more to me than you know winning olympic gold you know if 10th place is your olympic gold that's amazing and like there's no difference in terms of how we celebrate those so I think it's just feeling like they believe in you they've supported you and they are encouraging you um and just having like an infectious passion for a sport and and just knowing that they're enjoying it Um, so that's a very long-winded answer um to that question but I think that's really important I think we forget that uh, you know above all like it's about enjoying it you know
0: and from what you're saying, I think, good point. It's important to build relationships with the people you're working with, have that level of trust.
1: 100%, yeah. The trust is, uh, is key. Being open, honest, um, trusting that, you know, it's a, a two-way relationship, you know. We give 100% to each other.
0: I'm wondering, as someone who has, achieved, has consistently achieved high performance, how much emphasis do you put on the idea of self-reflection?
1: I think it's extremely important. Um, I think every day I reflect on what I've done that day. You know, um, I reflect on the conversations I've had. I reflect on the performance I've done, whether that be in the gym, on the bike, on the road. Um, I, I think that there's always something to improve on, um, which is why that reflection is so important. Um, I don't, like too much to dwell on on that every day though because you can as i say because every day there is something that you can reflect on and think oh, i could have done this better but i think it's important also to appreciate you know i gave 100 percent today and that's as good as i can give you know and that's as good as it is and and that should also be like you know championed as well and um appreciated um, but I think it's really important. I think reflection after races is particularly important, not just of the race itself, but of you know, the way that you got to that race and the preparation that you had. And I think it's especially important to reflect when you've had success, because it's very easy when you win a race or um, to think everything was perfect you know because we won that means there was nothing we needed to change and we must do the same again so whereas you know we sit down after every loss and we say oh, my, you know we need to change everything here what went wrong and we you know we pull it apart and um, we've done that we absolutely did that before you know Rio 2016 and you know it you know it worked but equally when we won in Rio 2016 how did we reflect on that well we didn't know so we you know we have to we've learned from that we didn't because we thought well we won so let's go and celebrate it and start again um so i think self-reflection is is massively important um you know i i have i have lost sleep over days where i think i may have missed a rep in the gym or i didn't give a hundred percent i think did i give a hundred percent to that effort and it's crazy really, it's 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 like, comp- like obsessive, but I guess that's what being an elite athlete in some ways is sometimes all about. But I think it's important to reflect, but also not to always dwell on it because I wouldn't recommend losing sleep over things. I think it's just, you know, I like to write down at the end of every day um, and it's not necessarily about my performance that day. Sometimes it is, you know, I'll write down five things at the end of every day. And one is, um, one thing that made me happy today and often that will be you know did I get a one rep max in the gym and if I have it that'll be my happiness for that day because it's important to me but it can also be had a great night with my family tonight um you know what one person I made happy one thing I'm grateful for one thing I can do better And one thing I learned, and those two are really important. One thing I learned and one thing I can do better. And as I say, that can be anything. Anything, it's not always about your sport um, because it's important to realise that you're a person as well as a performer.
0: We've mentioned your achievements, gold medal, the world championships. Um, I'm wondering, do you feel as a female athlete, you get the credit you deserve for achievements? And the reason I'm asking this question is because I spoke to Sarah's story before. She said people would often say it's where Are you still competing? They would think that she wasn't because the coverage was non-existent, really. I'm wondering, is that is that something you can relate to?
1: Um, a little bit. I mean Sarah's a slightly a slightly different case really because, you know, being our most decorated Paralympian and I think she she deserves all of the credit and all of the spotlight. Um, I don't think it's necessarily a female problem. I think it's a a paracycling problem in terms of sort of our position. Um, yes, don't get me wrong, female sport um, isn't given um, the attention that it should. It is getting better, I know that it's getting better, but as a female, I don't necessarily think that um, that's the problem. As I say, I think it's more a paracycling problem because people don't see us competing, they see us. Um, once every four years at the Paralympic Games and if we're lucky and we are lucky as tandem riders once every four years at the Commonwealth Games um, so then there's a little bit of buzz around it of course and at the Paralympics it's getting better and better the coverage um, and the attention that we get um, but I think there is work to be done in terms of para sport and Olympic Sport and the difference between now you know because I am somebody who, you know, I'm essentially a guide for a visually impaired athlete. I know that that comes with, you know, I'm not the focus either. And I appreciate that. And that's not what I got into my sport to do. I got into my sport to be the best I could be and to enjoy my life with it um, and give a hundred percent. But I think you know, those of our teammates, such as the likes of Sarah Story and Jodie Kundi, you know, don't receive the attention they should um, and, uh, um, on how fantastic they are as athletes. And, and that goes for all of my Paralympic teammates, really. So there's a change that needs to happen there more so than just as, as a female. I think um, Parasport just needs more coverage, you know. We have, there are World Cups, road World Cups throughout every year. Um, for the endurance team there are world championships in both road and track as i say we've got commonwealth games and none of it is televised you know in the way that our able-bodied counterparts um, have the privilege of you know so um that needs to change first um and then we might see you know we we might be having a completely different conversation um but i think in terms of you know being in our bubble in cycling i feel the respect that we get as athletes is is mutual from all of our teammates and um, but obviously the wider public are, are unable to give us that because they like you say they don't know we're, we're competing until the Paralympics comes around every four years.
0: Um, I want to ask you what time you achieve high performance when you're preparing for your performance mentally what are you trying to achieve?
1: Yeah Rio's a really good Rio is an amazing example because that was something that we that is the most meticulous we have been in terms of our preparation for an event mentally what we were trying to achieve i remember sitting on the start line in rio 2016 before the kilometer time trial and it was the calmest i've ever felt on a start line in my life and the reason for that is because it wasn't that i wasn't you know ready for it and hyped for it it was just i felt a sense of calm because I knew I was 100% ready. And the reason why I was 100% ready is because I knew I'd done everything I possibly could to get to that start line in the best shape possible. And I think if there's anything I would say to any athlete, it would be is to make your preparation so good and so faultless. You know that phrase, leave no stone unturned so that when you step onto the start line you know that there's nothing else you could have done to get to that start line and then well what will be will be then because you know you're going to give 100% and if you win the race great and if you don't well you know there was nothing more you could do and I think mentally that is the be all and end all because you know there are nerves you know men you know you want to win a course you know this is why we do it we want to win but as long as you know that you've done everything possible you can sleep at night you know if we had stepped onto that line five months earlier Jimmy we were at the world championships in Italy and I knew we hadn't you know we hadn't worked hard enough for that world championships whether it's because in the back of our mind we were had the Paralympic games that year but nobody wants to lose their world title five months before the Paralympic Games you know that was a big hit to us but what was so what was so difficult was that I knew we'd we'd cruised up to that race and it was our own fault that we lost and that's what I couldn't sleep at night over and that's why we did what we had to do before Rio to put us on that line you know if we'd have not won that day I think I'd still have celebrated because I knew that we'd we'd given everything so like mentally to achieve that I think to know you've given absolutely everything there was nothing more you could have done and and that's something that Sophie and I before Sophie retired we took into every race onwards from that point um and that's and I believe honestly believe that's why we got faster and faster because within ourselves we were doing, it. we knew we were doing everything we could. We always said to each other, Right, whatever happens now is going to happen. We've done everything we can, and we knew that between us. And that, and I think that's so important.
0: Brilliant. Do you have any mental frameworks for when things maybe aren't going so well? Any tricks to maybe bring yourself back to the present moment to ensure that it doesn't derail your whole performance?
1: Um. I think you know that kind of thing happens sort of organically over like the course of your training because you will have days that are bad days and I think you just need to well you need to surround yourself with a great team first of all you know we we push each other I see when our male counterparts aren't having great days and we encourage them and they do the same for us but I think it's just about resetting every day just resetting and saying tomorrow's going to be a better day and tomorrow I'll be better and I'll do something different and we're doing something different and we just reset and it's just about not letting I guess a bad day define you and I'm guilty of it you know it's not as you know it's it's easy to sort of encourage yourself when things are going great but it's not as easy when things are going badly and only you you know you can put get all the help around you but you know at the end of the day when you're lying in bed only you are thinking about you know that and I'm so guilty of it um, in terms of sometimes I will, I will sort of mull over and over a bad session, and and I, and it's so difficult to pull yourself out of that. Um, but you do just have to start every day as like a fresh, a fresh day. Um, and forget about that because that doesn't define you you're allowed to have bad days like you are and i guess that's maybe that's what i'm trying to say is just telling yourself you know we are allowed to have bad days i don't like that i hate it if i i feel like i've not performed well and there's nothing else i could have done but i just simply didn't have it that day i hate that i hate the excuse you know sometimes i'll not be able to lift a weight that i lifted easily six months ago and my my gym coach will say to me yeah but you do realize you're doing this 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 Different and extra, and I'll be like, no excuses, don't give me excuses, I don't like them. But you do have to be kind to yourself sometimes and think, Yeah, okay, um I get it, and you know, we'll move on tomorrow.
0: In between performances, is there a lot of waiting around at the at the games?
1: There's so much, there is so so much. Um, I mean, we're lucky in that you know, we have two events sort of two days apart, but you know the kilo is a one a one ride event so there's no sort of like rounds and things like that um but I guess in some ways that makes it worse because you know that you're just preparing for like one one shot kind of thing and you know when you get to a games or a world championships like everything's done for you as well so like you don't have to do your mechanics anymore you don't even have to make your own water bottle look kind of thing so like there's so much waiting around and letting people do things for you that you can't help but sort of think about what's to come worry about what's to come get excited about what's to come um so there's so much time to think um But again, you know, I think the longer you do it, the the more you learn about yourself and what you need in those situations and what helps you um, take your mind off things. Um, So yeah and then as I say there there are there is a bit of whiting around for other other team might well have got rounds and, and things like that but we all have our own sort of you know um processes to go through and it's such a great you know it's such a great team we're there to encourage each other and to support each other if we can see somebody's yeah a little bit in their own heads I guess
0: the big question on this podcast and you mentioned things already like collaboration what would you say are some of the key ingredients needed for individuals chasing high performance
1: Yeah, this is a great question. Um, I mean, my number—you know—I've got a couple. Really, my number one really is to work extremely hard. I I know that goes without saying, but it—it is so simple. You know, there's no sort of magic, um, weird, and wonderful formula here. This is just simple, good, hard, honest work. You know, cutting no corners, um, never missing session or as, as, as much as you can you know obviously um as much as you can control yourself um giving absolutely everything to every session you know never going back home and wondering did i give 100 percent? working hard um I, you know i used to say working harder than the next put the person next to you, but i think really it's about working harder than you worked yesterday you know working harder than you've ever done simple good hard honest work um, and the next thing on that, which is a big, big one for me, is consistency. So consistently doing that. Um, and that is the key. There are some great performers. There are some great athletes. But their careers are either cut short or they don't quite reach the heights that maybe people think that they're going to, or they think they're going to because they're unable to be consistent over a long period of time. And that is something that I, I try and instill into my riders as well. Consistency is the key. Um, consistently working very, very hard, um, you know, and there are other things, Jimmy, but those are my two, those are my two big ones um, for me.
0: Brilliant. Just have two more questions because I'm conscious of time. Um, What's the best bit of advice you were ever given?
1: Oh, my gosh. Um,
0: I'm putting you on the spot now.
1: Yeah, you have. I I should have maybe um, got you to send me that over in advance. (laughs) Um, The best bit of advice. I think a a really good... It's it's a little bit to do with, I guess, sort of myself personally, um, but I I like to think people can take something from it is... um, I bumped into an old coach a few years ago who said, you know, are you still, you know, are you still doing it? Are you still enjoying it? And I said, yeah. Um, you know, I do have goals and, you know, aspirations for the future. And he said to me, just keep doing it for as long as you can do it and keep enjoying it for as long as you can do it. And I think, and that has stuck with me really, because as you know, I said at the beginning, this isn't something that is going to last forever um, it's a, a, only a small portion I guess of our lives As sport in elite lives um, so I think that is a good, ex, a good, um, a good piece of advice um, but I think yeah just keep doing it for as long as as long as you're enjoying it is, is almost more important really
0: and the final question if you had 30 minutes to have a conversation with someone can be dead can be live, can be a musician athlete anyone at all person from history if you had 30 minutes to have a conversation with someone who would it be and why
1: great question I mean those people who um, know me will know that my number one person is Beyonce uh, <laughs> Queen I um, I don't know if I'd ever want a conversation with her I think I'd be too nervous to be honest but I think um, somebody such as herself really in terms of um, you know as a female as well you know what they've had to overcome um how she's got to where she's got you know we see the performer we see the sort of the the final product but you know we don't often get to see what work goes into it and and what they've had to overcome to get there and just how other people have gone about achieving excellence in a different you know we're sport she's more entertainment um so i think yeah, I'm I'm so interested in how others go about, you know, achieving their own excellence, whether that be in business, sport, arts, music. Um. So, yeah, let's stick with the Beyonce, I think.
0: I think uh, you mentioned a minute ago the big thing for you, one of the big things for you was work ethic. I think Beyonce is a great example of work ethic.
1: Oh, 100%. I mean, anyone, you know, can see that, well, she's meticulous, isn't she? She's a perfectionist and... Uh, you know, she she performed at Coachella a few years ago, and there was a you know you saw a little bit into the background of her work. And I think she just had her two twins not long before. And the work and you see behind the scenes. And um, as I say, you know, people think, oh, these celebrities, they you know everybody gets it done for them. They just get done for them. But goodness me, I mean, watching her perform and knowing what goes on in the background, she's worked her whole life. You know, she worked since she was. You know a teenager at uh, her craft and is still going now. And I think, you know, yes, you know, there is luck in everything, isn't there? There's luck in all of our lives and how we get to the heights. but I think ultimately you don't get to these heights without working for it. Um, especially knowing, you know, her background and, and other people's backgrounds that were not privileged backgrounds either.
0: Helen, thanks so much. It was great to talk to you. I really appreciate your time. The, the great thing for me is they learn something off everyone. So thanks a million for your time. I really appreciate it.
1: Oh, thanks so much. It's been great. Really great questions. Thank you.
0: Thank you so much. Thanks for listening.
1: We hope you enjoyed our latest episode. If you listen on an Apple device, please consider leaving a review and a five-star rating.